And he came over and he goes, is it ready? And he looked in and he went, that's incredible. Have you ever made this before? I said, no. Because that is the right consistency. Told yeah. you. Bread, concrete. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. <laughs> Hey, David. Hey, Amy. David, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> I, so, I have been fanboying all week. Yes, me all too. Week about this. So, and to tell be them specific, why. yes, tell Paul Hollywood is on the show today. Paul Hollywood from the Great British Bake Off or the Great British Baking Show in America. Right. And he's here to talk about his new cookbook, Bake, mm-hmm. but we talked a lot about the show. Oh, now, yeah. Based on his on-screen persona, mm-hmm. right? As the, mm-hmm. like, steely blue gaze. The, yeah, across you know. the room, he'll just give you that look and you kind of wither. Yeah. Wither. So based on that, how nervous were you to meet him? On a scale of 1 to 10, 12. <laughs> I was very nervous because I thought, what if he, like, just comes at us? It, it was, yeah, he's going to think our questions are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think he was going to be as warm and as nice as yeah. he was. I just, I don't know, I always just thought he was going to be Paul Hollywood. Right. Well, the secret's out, folks. He's a great guy. And so let's uh, let's get to that interview. This episode of Talking With My Mouthful is brought to you by Wyman's. Family-owned in Maine since 1874, Wyman's is the number one brand of frozen fruit in the U.S. and one of the world's largest purveyors of wild blueberries. Find Wyman's in the frozen fruit aisle. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. And congratulations on your 11th book, Bake, which is just out in America. Yeah. Thank you. It's the first time I've had a, a book officially launched in, uh, in the US. I'm really happy about that because I think off the back of Bake Off being so popular over in the US, I think it was only right that the book came out here with me as well. Yeah. Now, Bake, the title, is such a simple and a basic title for a very simple concept. So can you tell us the idea of the book? It's a bit like the guy that wrote it. I'm pretty simple and straightforward, (laughs) Uh no messing around, no frills. I think ultimately the book is all about the classics or certainly classics to me. I mean, it's a very Mm -hmm. indulgent book and I mean that by, I had to obviously choose the titles for the recipes. So I've got a pretty big encyclopedic memory when it comes to recipes, but I've got a very small amount of breaks that I think are classic and I particularly like. So the book was written based on my own indulgence. So I just hope people like, I'm sure they do from the, from what I've heard so far, they, I think I made some good choices. I tried to make it across the board to cover as big a range as possible uh, and UK and US to make it work yeah. as well. So it's a sort of yeah. hybrid of, of everything, really. It's a gorgeous book. It really is a beautiful book. So oh, thank you. congratulations on that. Yeah, and I made the sticky toffee pudding the other night. We just got back from a trip to the UK <laughs> and it was sort of a really, and it was so good. And what was so yeah. great about it was there's this wonderful flavor that baking soda can give but it's such a fine line. When you cross the line, it's that soapy, bitter, yeah. awful flavor. This had the perfect yeah. amount of baking soda. So you got that. What is it? It's like a savory umami kind of thing. But, oh. Yeah, I, it can it can fizz on your, on your yeah. tongue a little bit as yeah. well. And you got to be careful with baking soda. If you go overboard with that, it can give you quite a metallic flavor as well in mm. your mouth. And it does with me. I think with my job as judge... And I've eaten a lot of bakes over the last 13 years. <laughs> yeah. So when I come to actually try the bakes, 
I expect them to be, you know, spot on with the rising agent because they do go too far. It ruins yeah. the yeah. flavor. And you, if you pull back a couple of grams, it makes all the difference. Absolutely. And you talk about how the recipes are from different countries like the US and Britain. But, you know, you're a Northwest yeah. England guy. Yes, I am. And one of the recipes I thought is very interesting, the title is Bin Lids. Can you tell us what is a bin lid and also chip buddies? Oh, chip buddies, yeah. Well, a bin is a trash can over here. So, uh, you know, the big, big bin. So it's a roll. It's a soft roll, much bigger than a traditional roll, which is normally that big. Mm -hmm. It's about this big. And it will hold a whole portion of chips from a fish and chip shop, oh, a, a chippy. Okay. So when I was growing up, we used to buy bin lids and then fill it with a big portion of chips. You didn't need the fish because you, you've got carb on right. carb. You've double <laughs> carved up and it's got salt and vinegar on it. It's in a beautiful soft roll and it is amazing. I love them. I think they're brilliant. The word butty, B-U-T-T-Y. What's, what's that? A butty is a sandwich. Oh, oh. a butty is a sandwich. I thought it was like... In the north, it's a sandwich. I thought it was how you yeah, said buddy in the north, like B-U-D-D-Y. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Butty, butty, butty. We say, uh, because we're, uh, it's from the north. Uh, butty, butty is a sandwich, basically. Yeah. Got it. Oh, well, I got to do the chip buddy now because I love chips. I love carb on carb, oh, yeah. as you can tell. So I'm excited oh, yeah. about Double trying cup. that. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually live in the southeast of England. No, I live in a county called mm -hmm. Kent, which is probably about 60 miles from London or so. But I live in a very rural part of Kent. So it's, it's basically a little village next yeah. to me, which is you know, less than a mile away. It's a little walk. But I love the surroundings. Mm. It's just fields, green mm. grass, mm. trees. That's it. I like That's that. So I've gone from the northwest, which is very much a built-up area, to Kent, which is so solitary. And I, I really enjoy yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It must be a tonic to having a really public life, like to being a public figure. I think so, yeah. I think it's nice to get away and, and chill out. I mean, most of the people in the village know who I am. They don't sort of bat an eyelid anymore. Yeah. So if, if I turn up to the pub, they're like, oh, Paul's yeah. here. They're not like running around going, oh, my God, what am I going to serve this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's some tourists in the area who just happen to be in the, in the pub. And it's a beautiful old yeah. pub. And if they just happen to be in there, they go, is that? Do you know you look <laughs> like that guy, but it can't be you. But you look like yeah. that. I get, I, get that, I get that a lot of that here, funny enough. And it's the first time. That's really happened actually in the US. I mean, I traveled across uh, America a few years ago on a mm -hmm. motorbike and it was Paul Hollywood goes yeah. to Hollywood. And I started in New York and ended up in LA. And it, of course I did City Bakes, which took me to a lot of mm. cities around yeah. America, which was again, amazing fun. And I was, not uh, yeah, I was noticed by a few people, but as Bake Off mm -hmm. has grown and grown and these some of the Hollywood A-listers know who I am, which is, crazy the likes of Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds and The Rock and Gal 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 <laughs> and I'm going what? I was just listening to a podcast Tina Fey and Dana Carvey were raving about you in the show yeah weren't they saying Amy <laughs> what did you say about that being a rock star chef Oh, like yeah. Well, they... this is a theory I shared with David <laughs> there's a certain kind of fame that really famous actors covet and a lot of times it's like actors want to be rock stars but I think you have a kind of celebrity that is similar where really famous actors want to be Might you be because Hollywood. your job is so cool <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the name I think it's probably the name I was convinced I mean, that I, it was not really your name I had yeah. to research that over and over again yeah 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 it's a yeah. family name it's an Irish name actually really? 
<laughs> and it's been around for hundreds of years. Uh, Hollywood's a place near Belfast. Mm -hmm. And obviously, when they've gone to the States and, and gone to California, they're looking for names. And obviously, the people who were there probably came from Hollywood yeah. and Ireland and said, let's yeah. call it Hollywood. And of course, it became... a globally this famous name for movies like we always i mean it's always funny when i was growing up and i was standing outside a nightclub waiting for a taxi and someone shouts out taxi for hollywood <laughs> and, you know all these you think yeah thank you very funny but with me being on television now i do find it really odd you know that i'm doing I'm, i shouldn't be right. doing this because i'm a baker professionally i worked at some of the best hotels in the world i've got a good professional cv mm -hmm. When I was working in these places, the last thing on my mind was how does a baker get from being in a beautiful hotel to being on, you know, a, a much-loved family show in the UK and being known in the US? The lining of the stars for that one yeah. was a strange day. <laughs> so, Paul, you are known and loved by many for your TV work, but you really have an extensive history in restaurant kitchens. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you got from there to here. I used to work for my dad in, a, in his bakery. He had a chain of 15, 16 bread shops and cake shops up and down the east coast of the country. And I worked there, learnt my trade, and then... I wanted to learn something different. I needed to be away from my dad to do my own thing. My dad was very much a wholemeal, granary, white sort of baker, and I wanted to learn about sourdough and everything else. So I wanted to go and work in hotels. I ended up working for the Duke of Westminster, who owned the Clifton, uh, Chester Grosvenor Hotel for mm. about six years. I then sandwiched that with time at the Dorchester Hotel in London. I then went back to the Chester Grosvenor. I remember one week I was offered a job at the Lanesborough, Tewton Glen, it was about mm. three different jobs I was off, and I turned them all down to go back to Chester. And then from there, Cyprus, six years, came back, worked at Clifton. And I've worked doing work stuff in Italy and France as well, just sort of understanding how they bake. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had my own business supply in Harrods and big supermarket chains in the UK. Mm -hmm. From there, I was starting to ask to do a few TV bits as a professional. So I went mm -hmm. on a couple of things. They said I was all right. Started doing a few more and then... Eight years after that, uh, I was approached to join the Great British Bake Off, and that was it, really. How did that happen? Now that you brought it up, how did you become Paul Hollywood, the famous TV chef and judge? The program itself is a great program, and I love being affiliated to the Bake Off. I think the tent is a special place. I think when people see it for the first time, I mean, when we, we've done many celebrity versions for Stand Up to Cancer and Sport Relief and Comic Relief in the UK, mm -hmm. We've grabbed some of your American stars to come over. We've had John Lithgow, Richard Dreyfuss was on there, uh, Terry Hatcher, mm. David Schwimmer. We've had a load of different people coming in, mm. and they are impressive, and they really love that, and they shake with excitement when they come in. And to see that, and you think, wow, the tent's got this aura. Oh, yeah. That people want to see it, and they'd love to be there and be around the tent. It's a bit like the Norwegians call it hygge, which means coziness, and it gives an enveloping hug when you need a hug. Mm -hmm. That's what the tent does. Me, not so much, because I'm more like the angry bear in the corner that you've got to look after and make him smile with your yeah, baking. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always judged people in the tent with their baking. Yes, I'm a harsh critic and I'm difficult to beat, but if you win me over, you're going to be fine. But ultimately, it comes down to the finished product. It's got to look good and taste good and be very professional to get the, the handshake. Mm -hmm. I enjoy my job. 
but I, I've always given constructive criticism. I've never just said, that's terrible mm -hmm. and walked away and they're just in tears. I've always been constructive and said, the reason why you've done this and if you'd done this, it would have ended up like that. That doesn't often meet the programme because, you know, we just haven't got the time for me to stand there for 10 minutes explaining how they could have made it better. But it was important for me to do that to them anyway, you know. Right. But I think Bake Off's very nostalgic. Oh, my God. And what's important about the show is... Every season when it comes on, I'm so excited. I think like every damn American who loves baking. But I walk away so inspired to bake. Arlettes, when you yeah. did the Arlettes and the reverse puff pastry, I had to be able to master that. I had to do it. And with the instruction <laughs> that was given on the show, it's not like you know some of, some of the things we see here in America. So I think that's very interesting. Well, we want to know, when is the new season airing? Mm, yes. It's normally around the same time, around September time, it'll be coming out. Okay. We've actually finished it already. It's a great year. It's going to be a good year. And then you have the celebrity one, which comes out next year. The American version, which we're in the middle of filming now with Roku, mm -hmm. is going to be a special one as well. It's the first time Prue and myself have oh, judged. Wow. So Prue and myself are actually judging the American one. Uh, with two, I can't tell you who the American hosts are because I think it's still locked. Yeah, locked in uh, secrecy at the oh, moment. You can tell us. It's okay. Uh, it's just us. <laughs> oh, yes, no problem. No problem. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. And we're meeting the actual bakers next week when I go mm -hmm. back. Oh, my gosh. We actually film it in the UK. Oh. To keep it as authentic as possible, the tents yeah. there. Right. The American bakers come in. You've got Prue and I judging. So I think it's going to be the closest one to the British ah. one for purely that America, so it should be interesting. So I do think this show is, it's like a tonic for what ails the world. And I know <laughs> that that's very grandiose to say, but it's like medicine. And I know you know yeah. the deep emotional connection that people have to it. How do you explain it? Oh, it's a difficult one. I think it's sustenance through your stomach. Mm. Mm. You're dealing in bakes that are nostalgic bakes from when you were a mm -hmm. child and you remember certain things. And then I think from the American point of view, it's what they'd like to think Britain is like. <laughs> so you have so you have a white tent and a beautiful scenery with a stately home and yeah. bunting all over the place and cakes. Don't kill my <laughs> fantasies here, Paul. It's Come the on. closest we're gonna get to some of some of us, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's a little taste of what British countryside is like, which in the summer is beautiful. Yeah. It's very village fate, very classic village fate, mm -hmm. British village fate. It's something mm -hmm. I remember growing up. And I think we've sort of harnessed that and put it into a competition and put it into a tent. I mean, most people would think, why are we doing this in a tent? Why yeah. are we doing it in a studio like everybody else? <laughs> but I think the very fact that we've kept to the tent is testament to the fact that I think it works because mm -hmm. people really love the tent. When they, we get people coming in regularly every year who have won a competition or they get a chance to come and see the tent. And I love just standing in the corner and I'll watch them walk into one. They see it for the first time and you can see them waving with excitement. The cameras are out. <laughs> and I, I love seeing that because I know that it means something to them, you know, to go to this this weird looking alien ship that's just landed sure. in, a, in a beautiful green field in the UK. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I think what's fascinating is the show hasn't changed that much since when Ed Kimber won season one. Yeah. And my shirts have changed. My shirts were awful. <laughs> I think I, I was wearing, I, I remember wearing Paisley and a couple of other really odd numbers. And Mary's hair was flat on her face. 
I just, yeah. oh no, I hate looking back at that. Um, but I mean, my hair's gone much whiter since I've been doing yeah, makeup. Yeah. I was quite dark when I started. But you see, there's nowhere for me to go now. I can't start darkening my hair now. Because <laughs> no. there's 13 record. years that people go back and go, hang on, he's got dark. How's he done that? Yeah. So exactly. every year I'm turning into Father Christmas. <laughs> so talking about the popularity of the show, we found this on the internet. We want to know if you agree. British cooking shows. Tell us about this wee tart you've made. The crust is just lovely. American cooking shows. We've replaced your knives with Phillips head screwdrivers and released raccoons in the kitchen. The clock is set for 30 seconds. Please bake us peace in the Middle East. <laughs> Do you agree with that notion? Isn't this funny, by yeah, the way, that meme? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I think, I think we're a little bit more real yeah. in the sense of, I think timing is important. Mm -hmm. I think... What's approachable is also important. I've always been a big advocate of the fact that I want people to bake the stuff that we make. Mm -hmm. You know, so people see an ice bun that they may have never had before, mm -hmm. and they see that gorgeous lemon icing on the top, and you fill it with a little bit of lemon curd, and then whipped cream sitting on the top of that. Who in their right mind would not say, I've got to make, I've got to eat that, and I've got to make that? That was my experience, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah in America, really, it's all about this bizarre competition that is just almost impossible yeah. it and it's first, gone too far yeah. it's just yeah it's just tipped over and it's made it unattainable yep and people get put off by that they want to be able to go i'm going to make that i'm yep. going to do that that sounds amazing and it's almost there's a demand for jeopardy mm -hmm. and it, it's so fragile setting up a competition yeah where you're almost looking for accidents to happen mm -hmm. to make it great on camera. Yeah. yeah. When what we try and do is try and help them to create something that looks amazing and let nature take its course. Well, I think it's great when you walk around with Prue and Mary before that, where you'd ask a contestant, so what are you doing? They would explain and you go, you're really going to use brown <laughs> sugar? Are you really going to use castor sugar? Are you really going <laughs> to use... And they're like, oh, should I not? And you're like, you yeah. won't give it away. But there's these subtle hints. There's this sense yeah. of trying to help. Yeah, which that, I know. mean, that I am trying to help, but I mean, if I say how much orange have you putting into this, and they say, "Oh, four oranges," and I go, four <laughs> oranges, really?" And yeah. they go, "That in their mind should have go ding ling ling ling." Uh -huh. I'm putting too many Some oranges of them don't. in this. Some of them, they go, oh, "Yeah, I'm and doing I, four. and they'll carry on. And then when we judge, we say, "Do you know that I had too many oranges in?" Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I did try and tell you before. Yeah. There are there are clues. Yeah. And now for a fun fact, courtesy of Wyman's. The wild blueberry bushes they tend to are over 10,000 years old, which means Mother Nature has had plenty of time to perfect her recipe. What we're left with is a supremely antioxidant-rich berry with a sweet and tart flavor that's perfect for whatever you're making. Cocktails, baked goods, cheeses, salsas, jams, and who could forget pie? Wild blueberries make everything wildly better. Look for Wyman's in the frozen fruit aisle. So you are the kind of, you know, everybody talks about the Hollywood stare and that you're the, oh, yeah. you're the guy who's honest and everybody's trying to impress and please. And yet you are actually, I've listened to interviews with you, you're a warm, friendly person. So how did the Paul Hollywood of the show kind of, because you had to sort of feel your way to that, right? It's not quite exactly your everyday self. No, it's not. I mean, you put it down to the editing because... Right. Mm. I think if they showed my real character in the tent, it, it'd come across as something slightly different. Yeah, I, I'm pretty straight when I'm giving a judging on something, whatever it is. 
But yeah, I think they've edited it to the point with to make me the pantomime villain, uh-huh. which I've sort of embraced. I've given up fighting <laughs> against it now. And I think anyone that's in the tent who knows me knows I'm not like that. I mean, right. I, can be, I am a straight talker and I'll tell you if it's good or bad. And the, probably my language will probably come across as something which mm-hmm. is a bit choice in the sense of it's very direct. I mean, I was talking about someone's piping recently. And I said, it looks like something my dog left on the lawn. And, I, and it, that, that is You're probably a little Simon bit cruel. Of yeah, that was probably a little bit cruel when I could have been a little bit softer with it. But sometimes a little bit of humour that I'll add from like right. northern humour mm-hmm. yeah. sound a little bit harsh, but actually up north they'll go, oh, that's good, I like that. Yeah. But, but then people will automatically then have an image of what I'm talking about yeah. and then relate to what yeah. they're saying on camera and go, he's right, it does. And so... I like, I like to have a joke with them and I can be a little bit cheeky with them. Mm-hmm. And so I've sort of gone down that road now that I thought, yeah, okay, I'm the pantomime villain. <laughs> but then you're, you're dealing, I'm working with octogenarians, you know, I'm working with Dame Mary and Dame right. Prue. And so, I mean, how can you work with that in a, in a sense that I can't, you know, compete with the fact that they are dames mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm just this northern bit of rough. <laughs> so <laughs> rough. I, I, I've, I've adopted my... My character, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, it's good. And also it plays well with Mary and plays well with yeah. Brew. I mean, it really does play off of each other very well. Yeah, we were very curious. What are the most common mistakes contestants on the Bake Off make? Maybe we don't see. It's a, Well, you do see it, but sometimes you don't. You can't put your finger on it. It's timing. They always mm. get the timing wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to wear it backwards. So you think, how much time have I got for this challenge? Two hours. Yeah. Then you've got to think, what have I got to bake in that two hours? I've got to make a sponge. So how long is that sponge going to take? How long do I have to bake that sponge and cool it before I can decorate it? Yeah. And once you have a plan of when things have to go in the oven and when things have to go out, then you're okay. Mm-hmm. If you divert from that plan, yeah. then you're in trouble because you're going to run out of time. And in the end, you start throwing stuff on. And at the end of it, your cake looks awful. It looks like you know it's been dropped. Right. And yep. that, that's when you're going to get the, the me coming in and standing on you saying, what is this? So it would always be my belief that they want to be better bakers, which is I expect them to be. I want them to be professionals. Mm-hmm. And when they do create something that is that good, I get really excited. That's when I do shake the hand, to be, mm. to be honest. Because <laughs> I think, oh, wow, these are brilliant. About time. Do you think the weather, though, works against... That's the big thing that I always want to talk to the producers about. The weather. Yeah. I mean, you can't make certain things in humidity or like 102-degree weather like you guys yes. had last week or this yeah, week. Yeah, well, fortunately, we went in the tent. I mean, yeah. that would have been horrific. Ugh. I probably would have thought we'd stop filming if it was that hot. Right. Because yeah. in the tent as well, it's like being in a greenhouse. Mm. It would have been ridiculous. Like We would have been sweating. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't look very nice. I think we would have packed up and said, no, let's leave it till it gets a bit cooler. We normally work at around 24, 25 degrees, 20 degrees. It was a little bit cool at the beginning. We were at 15, 16, so, mm-hmm. which is about you know 55, which is a pretty, pretty cold, a bit yeah. grim. If it's cold in the tent, they've got heaters underneath, which will help them, especially with bread. If it's cool in the tent, that's good for cakes as well. Mm-hmm. If it's too hot, then that's good for bread ish but mm-hmm. that speeds it up too much so it's overactivated. Yeah. So they've got to use the fridges wisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How palpable is the tension in the tent during like a signature technical? And have you become immune to it at this point or do you get tense? Oh I don't get tense. Yeah. I've normally got my feet up in a hammock. <laughs> uh, any more laid back I'd fall over. <laughs> 
I don't feel that tension. I know it's there because you can feel it from the bakers right. and they go quiet or they'll cut the fingers because a lot of them, when they first start in the tent, we have very sharp knives for them to oh, yeah. do their prep and mise en place. Yeah. And they often cut their fingertips with the knives. Mm -hmm. And we always have a bet when the series starts how many blue plasters are going to be at the end of their fingers yeah. after the first program can get all of them cutting their fingers because they're so worried and the tension's there. Yeah. If they just settle down, take a breath, it gets on top of people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, go outside the tent, sit down, have a glass of water, take a couple of breaths, count to 10, and then come back in. And mm. then they come back in all happy and it's all good. Because it can overwhelm them. And I think Bake Off, because it's been around for for a while, has is created in their minds this, this, this thing, almost like a cult, mm -hmm. the tent. And then to see it and be in it and then, you know, meet all the hosts and, and the judges, it's overwhelming for some people. Yeah. yeah. I'll often yeah. just sit down with them for five minutes, have a chat, talk about where they're from and, mm. and say, right, you're all right now. They go, yeah, it's great. Now go on then, carry on. So how do you think a 22-year-old or a 21-year-old Paul Hollywood would have fared at the Great British Bake Off? <laughs> he would have been driven, but probably in the wrong way. Uh -huh. I, I was very focused on my job very focused on my job and I was I like to think I was pretty good at it as well mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have entered for the Great British Bake Off in the first place so I was painfully shy <laughs> I mean I, I, I couldn't do it I mean I just the pool now there's always two sides to me mm -hmm. there's the guy that everybody sees on the telly and then there's the real me this mm -hmm. is the real me that sort of shies away from all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. but um I know why people do it because they love bacon they want to be in the tent and maybe they want fame as well Mm. You know, fame is a kicker nowadays. You see a lot of the kids and you, and they want fame. Yeah. Mm. For me, you've got to be famous for doing something or good at something or have something or whatever. Yeah. I think to be given it on a plate and you see a lot of the reality programs where they're famous just for the being themselves because they've got a pretty face or they've got this, mm -hmm. which is great. But then they need that as almost a battery to keep them going. Mm -hmm. Whereas rather in the tent, we concentrate on a skill which we want them to have. And then they have to deal with the media outside. And sometimes that really scares them. You know, they go, oh, yeah. I can't do it. And yeah. they're such nice mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And you think, I hope you're all right, you know, if you need. And we do support them as much as we can. Because mm -hmm. they are great people and they are great bakers. And it takes a lot of guts to go into that tent. And we know that from the celebrities because even the celebrities crumble when they go in the tent. Yeah, I loved the Dairy Girls episode. We could go on. Oh, that was, oh, <laughs> that was dear, mayhem, absolute mayhem. That was, that was Great hysterical. Fun. Yeah. Hello. Hello. So, okay, I have this fantasy that you guys all hang out when you're not in the tent <laughs> filming. Is that true or no? Like, are you all at the pub having a drink at the end of the day? We do. I mean, yeah. we do have a drink. Normally the hotel's not far from the tent. So we will go back and have uh, dinner together. Weirdly, Matt was in New York, came to see me and my partner, Melissa, last night, and he joined us in the bar. Oh, so, did he? It, yeah, in New York. So we had a half the bake-off. Uh-huh. Was in New York last night in a bar. <laughs> but you don't have a drink with the contestants, though, the bakers. While they're in the program and while they're being judged, I won't. We had a bit of a bromance with George last year, the mm -hmm. Cypriot guy who I love, George. Oh, yeah. And Chiggs as well. I thought Chiggs was great. And so when they finished filming, because they were in lockdown, we were staying in the same mm -hmm. hotel. They were on the other side of the hotel and we were all on the, the crew and us lot were on the other side. So we were very much apart. And I said to, because I just kicked George off the program. <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry, George, you know, you did a good job, but I think your time's up. And he goes, no, 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 I get that. I said, do you fancy a drink? And he said, oh yeah, that'd be amazing. 
So all the others that wanted to come and join us said, move on, walk on. <laughs> I could then talk to George legitimately because he was out of the programme, he was right. finished. And I could sit down and, and have a drink with him and we spoke about Cyprus and played Cypriot music and it was a good chill night. Yeah. And I got to know him and he's such a nice guy, you know. Aww. Yeah. Really nice guy. So let's talk about the Hollywood handshake. Now, <laughs> yeah. Yesterday or the day before when you were on Stephen Colbert, you talked about how you give it out so much more now because more and more people are really talented in, in putting it forth. Do you think it comes time now for maybe like a double Hollywood handshake, like crossing, shaking two hands? So there's like two levels of the Hollywood handshake because, damn yeah. it, you know, I'd want one, but I'd, I'd want to feel special if, you know, if everyone got it, I wouldn't feel special anymore. I mean, I, I, it started as me being over-enthusiastic about someone's bike. Mm -hmm. And it was a way of saying, well, don't, as you would... Anybody, you meet somebody or you, someone's done well and you should come and shake their hands in an office and say, well done, you've done mm -hmm. a great job. And it was me just saying, well done, really. I do hear people clapping now when I give a handshake and I don't really like that because mm. it's sort of building it up to something I don't want it to be because it's just literally between me and the baker. Well done, you did a great job. And, and that's it, you know, and let's move on. But it's become this huge thing now. And they're pretty new. It'll hit the front page of a newspaper in the UK. Yeah. And you're going, what? Really? And if I've given three outs, you think, people think the world's coming to an end. And it all <laughs> is is a handshake. It's just the standard has got better. And that's the, that's the reality. Mm. Standard has got better. Bakers have got better. They're more in tune with what Prue and I like to eat. And this mm -hmm. is the thing. It's a very they, good point. They will go straight in for that and give me that lime that I demand and a little bit of banana and pineapple. And they, so they're creating dishes specifically for our taste buds. And, <laughs> you know, if they do well, they're going to get a handshake. They're, they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite recipes from the book? From Bake. I, I like the, the basic stuff. My favorite really is the sourdough. It took me ages to master that recipe because mm. I do a lot of baking with sourdough and I wanted to get it right. And I, I Normally I just touch something and go, oh, it needs a bit of water. Oh, it needs this, it needs that. I had to put that knowledge from my head down on paper and make it foolproof so when people follow the recipe, they understand and learn something at the same time. Mm. And, and the pictures, you know, the sort of stages mm -hmm. that we used in the book, yeah. I think are very useful for that. So whether you're a beginner, you know, whether you're a medium baker or an expert baker, there's something in the book for everybody. I'd love everyone to learn how to make a sourdough. I always challenge myself. If I was to take you now out of 2022 and drop you into the 1500s, what are you going to bring? Mm. What are you going to mm. change? What could you possibly... What do you know now that you could bring in the 1500s mm. and make people go, wow, and actually, that's a hard question. You may know what it is, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. how would you make it yeah. with what they've got? And so making a sourdough was certainly around, but it was a rare thing, sourdough, proper sourdough. Mm. And I would like to make a sourdough in the 1500s, just turn up, you know, a time <laughs> machine takes me there. Time travel. I, it'd be like a magician. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so let's talk about bread, because, I mean, there are many great recipes in the book. One of the ones that I'm dying to try is the carrot cake. I think that looks oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But bread is so special to you. You are the son of a baker. Yeah. And was he just bread or was he bread and also desserts? I mean, he did he did a lot of pies and things like that. My mum was more the dessert side of things and the sweet side of things. Mm -hmm. And my dad was more the savory, although he did do, you know, scones, ice buns, donuts, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But bread was his main thing because that's what he used to make a lot of. Mm -hmm. right. And so I trained when I was very young 
And bread is, it's all about consistency bread. You master that and become a good bread maker, then it'll help in other aspects of baking to get your sponges, get mm-hmm. the consistency right, getting your meringues right. It's all about touchy-feely with your, you need to get your hands. We're so distant now with baking that we use machines for this. Yeah. And, yep. and, mm-hmm. and I'd rather get my hands in there and mm-hmm. feel it. And you get muscle memory and you understand when something's ready. If you permanently do things in mixes and don't put your hand in or a spoon or taste it, mm-hmm. you will never better yourself. And so it's all about getting in, getting your hands in there, feeling it, getting stuck in, and getting covered in flour. Yeah. yeah. What is it about bread that is so special and, and comforting for you? It's because it's harder to make. Mm. It's harder to make, so it's more of a challenge mm-hmm. to most bakers. I think a sponge can be just be, you know, butter, egg, sugar, flour in it in a bowl and all in uh-huh. one, especially a Victoria sandwich, bung it in a tin, bake it, done. Bread's not like that. You've got to manipulate it. You've got to look after the yeast. It's a living thing. You've got to grow it in a certain environment. You've got to tighten it up. You've got to get the bubble structure right, the crumb, the caramelization. Mm. And so the whole thing is is a skill, a real skill to, to get it done properly. And to be able to do that at will, at home, which I do a lot, for sandwiches in the morning or toast. And I think it's just something which is a real challenge for me. That's mm-hmm. why I love it. So if somebody wants to learn to bake and they haven't really baked much bread before, what curriculum would you recommend? Like what what should they start baking and then move up through? You've got to start with a white bread, just a tin bread. And the mm-hmm. beauty of a tin bread is there's only one way it can go and it's mm-hmm. straight up. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's almost foolproof. Mm-hmm. You go brownies on the cakes, which are easy enough. Mm-hmm. Banana bread is something everybody was doing during lockdown. And my banana bread, I use four. So three in the mix and one on the top. And that caramelizes beautifully. So again, a very straightforward cake. Mm-hmm. But it's all about the creaming method. It's about keeping it light. Mm-hmm. It's about the bake. It's using your skewer now when it's ready to come out. And a great banana bread is very difficult to beat. You know, with that, with a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Wow, just, I'm in heaven myself. Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, donuts, you've got pizzas. Start with a very basic jam donut or even a donut with nothing in. Mm-hmm. Just learn how to get your fryer at the right level and then just fry it and then leave it for 10 minutes and break it open to see if it's dough inside or it's baked inside, if it's you know properly cooked inside. And if you've got that and you've written down your timings, just little notes in the book, then you know next time you can add something to it in half an hour when it's cool, pipe it full of custard or jam, mm. and all of a sudden your repertoire begins to grow and then you'll be putting your application form in for the tent. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you said a very interesting thing, and I think that's true, is that if you understand consistency, then that can take you through going through pies and cakes yeah. and all the way through. And it's and very concrete true. and concrete. I was asked to help a mate out uh, a couple of years ago now. I was making some concrete up. And he's, I said, what are you putting in? He goes, bit of that sand, bit of that powder and water. Right. So I mixed it all up. I had this mixer going, like me, like me dough mixing and stop it and stick my hand in. Goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm just getting it right. Yeah. So I carried on mixing it and, it. and he came over and he goes, is it ready? And he looked in and he went, that's incredible. Have you ever made this before? I said, no. Because that is the right consistency, I told you. Red, concrete. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Now, how would you tell a young or a new baker when dough is overproofed or underproofed? I know that happens a lot in the tent. Yeah. There's a lot of poking that goes on. When you've got a dough that's rising up in a tin or whatever, you've got to push your finger in fairly hard and feel that resistance bounce back. Mm-hmm. If, if it's overproved, what tends to happen is you, you touch it and the whole thing starts to collapse mm. and it'll crinkle around your where your finger was. 
if it's underproved, it'll just bounce and leave a slight indentation. So it's almost like plasticine rather than a, a sponge. You know, if you touch a sponge and it mm -hmm. bounces straight back to where it was, you want it to bounce back to where it was or certainly within a couple of millimeters. So again, it's gentle touches and watching it spring. And then you're aware that it's ready to go in the oven. It will have what they call a, a spring in the oven and it will spring up and you cut it and then it opens on that cut. And then what you do is look for the rip down, down the side. So when you lift it out, you look down the bottom to see how the bread's pulled away. And it's mm. an indication that it's underproved. So sometimes without even cutting it, I'll look at a loaf and tell you whether it's underproved, mm. uh, not risen enough, not enough salt by the color. And it, you learn you wow. know, what's good bread just by looking at it. So how can you tell there's not enough salt in dough? That's interesting it, bread. It, it comes to the, the color. It alters the mm. color. It can be quite pale if there's very little salt in it. Mm. And it's an, often an indication that there's salt. And the, the best way to test salt, if you're ever making bread and you forget, you think, have I put this salt? Just rip a piece of the dough off and stick it on your tongue right on the tip. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. you instantly will know whether there's salt in there or not. So during quarantine, I got into making sourdough like everybody. Yeah, everybody, and yeah. There is such a trend toward these very elaborate scoring, almost like making a mosaic or work of oh, art yeah. with your scoring. But... Yeah. Not always the most functional way to score. So what's your favorite way to score a good loaf of bread? I mean, I, I do like, there's, there's several methods I've used. I love the shark tooth. And the shark tooth is, is basically uh, using a razor blade and slashing quite heavy. And mm -hmm. then again, and then again, Francois Rabelais in France that used to do this rye bread with uh, honey in it in Tours in Loire. And it used to open up like a, a shark's mouth. Mm. And it looks amazing and it creates so much of a, a crust as well so you rub flour on the outside before you cut it so you spray it with water gently rub flour all over it and then make these sort of sharp cuts all the way down and as it hits the oven it just breaks open mm. so there's a real distinction between the crust on the outside and the inner which is slightly darker because of the honey it's i've amazing. never made the shark's teeth have you no Maybe? never done no. it no <laughs> so we do this lightning round with everybody toward the end you know just some Quick questions, just okay. answer off the top of your head. Okay. okay. What is your go-to meal to make when you're dead tired? Risotto. Mm. What is your best time-saving trick? Clean as you go. Mm. Clean your kitchen as you go. I yeah. just don't wait to the end because the whole thing's a mess. Just clean as you go, you'll be fine. Okay. Favorite food show or movie you can't say your own show? I'm a big fan of Top Gear. Right. I love Top Gear. Yeah. I think Top Gear is a great program. I'm into my cars and bikes, so yeah, Top Gear. <laughs> How about your most beaten up cookbook? Oh, wow. I've got a file from when I worked at all these hotels, and it's with all my old recipes in it. Oh, yeah. And that's mm. the one I tend to go back to, because there was no one really doing back in the 80s some of the stuff that I was really getting into. So they were all chefy books. Or there were home bakers, which are very different to what right. I was doing in the industry. Mm -hmm. so there wasn't many professional bakers doing all this stuff. Yeah. And so my file, my original baker's file with all my recipes in there, which say 25 kilos of flour and all this stuff, <laughs> that's the one I tend to go back to just to refresh my mind and go, because often moving forward in baking, you, you, you go back. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what I, I'm a big believer of. And what is your greatest faux pas you've made in the kitchen? Uh, I did once when I was starting off, I, I salted a thousand donuts instead of sugar in them. <laughs> we sold all of them and only had one complaint. 
won't complain. <laughs> you were doing salted caramel before salted yeah, caramel yeah. was cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's the last best thing you ate? I had a, a beautiful seafood linguine in a, a restaurant just around the corner from the hotel in New York. Nice. Delicious. Yeah, really good. What is the most underrated dessert? Posset, which is basically a set cream mm -hmm. normally made with lemon or lime. I think it's the, a thing of beauty. It's silky, it's creamy, it's delicious. How about the most overrated dessert? Mm. A great souffle is a thing of beauty. Mm -hmm. And I would never knock it because I always go for it in a, in a restaurant menu. <laughs> but I think it's over egg slightly. It is pretty simple to make. Yeah. It's the blessed souffle. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And we hope you'll come on the show uh, again. My pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Paul Hollywood is a celebrity chef and longstanding British staple of culinary TV. Currently, he's the tough judge on the beloved TV program, The Great British Bake Off, or as we know it in America, The Great British Baking Show. He's also the author of the brand new book, Bake. You can find Paul on Instagram at paul.hollywood and at his website, paulhollywood.com. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Overt Studios, and our producer is the cinnamon-scented Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. And remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As always, if you like what you hear and want to support us, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Ciao. Bye, David. I have never made shark's teeth. Cut. Have you, Annie? Yeah. No, I Have haven't Annie. done that. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Who's Annie? I called you Annie. Let me try that again. I'm going to go get um, my gun. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>